and they do superhuman things, but athletes are human beings and it's really important that we remember that. It was agonisingly painful to get to a point in my life where I realised that in order to continue living, I had to give up the one thing that meant so much to me and that was swimming. Prevention and early intervention in sport is the biggest step that we really have to take. I couldn't do the things that I was able to do. I was working harder and I was training more and I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting better. And I was like, this isn't healthy, this isn't putting me in a good position to succeed. Everyone knows how important sport is to Australian culture. We're a sports mad country and that'll never change. In the UK, they've got the royal family. In the United States, movie stars play the part of royalty and you could argue that Australian royalty are our top level athletes. The demand and the pressure on athletes to to look a certain way or you know, to to be a certain weight or shape. Um, I think we need to really educate ourselves about that a lot more. For Australian athletes, it's a high-pressure situation where their bodies are being pushed to go faster, higher and stronger. It's a situation that can make them particularly vulnerable to disordered eating and, in turn, eating disorders. This is the Butterfly Podcast from your friends at Butterfly, your national voice for eating disorders and body image issues, I'm Sam Eichen. Athletes are human beings, and so humans have risk factors for developing eating disorders. So our athletes are the same. There are then sport-specific risk factors that can exist on top of what the general population might be experiencing as a risk factor. My name's Nikki Jacock. I'm a senior sports dietitian and disordered eating project lead at the Australian Institute of Sport. Eating disorders occur in, in the Australian population and sport is a microcosm of our society. So yes, we see eating disorders in athletes. Prevalence data will, sh- uh, will often show that there is a higher incidence in athletes than you know, general population match controls. And in, in saying that, uh, disordered eating and eating disorders can occur in, in any athlete, in any sport, at any time. The psychological traits that are associated with eating disorders, and we've spoken about them a lot on this show, things like perfectionism, self-discipline, self-motivation and high achievement. The thing is, all of those traits are commonly found in people who succeed in sports. Making the team was obviously the highlight of my career. You know, I was so, so excited. Everything that I had worked for had become a reality. And I remember telling myself, you know, if I make the team, then I don't have to starve myself anymore. I don't have to go into that binge purge cycle. But of course, as anyone in this, you know, same experience will know that the goalposts then just moved. And it, I said to myself, well, you know, Now that I am an elite athlete, I have to make sure I look like an elite athlete. I have to make sure that I am even more stringent, even more demanding um, when it comes to what I was eating and how I was exercising. This is Jessica Smith. She's a former Australian Olympic swimmer who represented her country for seven years. Unfortunately, I was forced into early retirement due to a struggle with eating disorders.
often things move much more slowly than we would wish. And certainly in the sporting space, what tends to happen is that um, ex-athletes then become coaches um, and other support staff. And so the culture and the beliefs and attitudes can become quite deeply embedded within a certain club or an organisation. This is Fiona Sutherland from The Mindful Dietitian. I am director of the nutrition program at the Australian Ballet School. Fiona Sutherland works mostly with high-end dancers who are technically artists rather than athletes. At least that's what they'll tell you. So that is a name that some dancers don't like. They would prefer to be called artists or dancers as opposed to athletes. From a sports science perspective and from a nutrition perspective, uh, I suppose it could be said that I see them very much as athletes. Fiona says the research that she's seen tells us that the blanket statement that athletes are more at risk of eating disorders isn't necessarily true. However, there are certain types of sport that do pose a higher risk. Although it is a kind of a basic belief that athletes are more at risk of eating disorders, it's actually not borne out in the research. Um, although it could be said that particular sports, so for example, weight-making sports or aesthetic sports, it seems as though the literature is revealing that those kind of sports are um, or do put athletes more at risk of engaging in disordered eating, which may uh, become more of a clinical eating disorder. Research from the National Eating Disorder Collaboration, or the NEDC, tells us that athletes who believe their performance is directly affected by their body type often experience body dissatisfaction, and that can lead to disordered eating which in turn can lead to eating disorders. Athletes like bodybuilders, wrestlers, boxers, jockeys and rowers, aesthetic sports which focus on appearance, figure skating, dancing, diving and gymnastics, for example, and endurance sports which focus on individual performance rather than the entire team. Sports like track and field, cycling and swimming are particularly at risk. So I think one thing that's really important for parents and families and um, athletes and active people to know is that it's not necessarily the sport itself, but sometimes the way that the cultures are set up and the expectations around weight, shape and size. So it's uh, rather than being, you know, blaming the sport or blaming uh, coaches or individuals, it's about us taking the time to examine what are the um, pervasive beliefs that exist within particular sporting cultures which lead people to engage in behaviours which might be unsafe for them. For athletes, body weight and size are more likely to be blamed and criticised for poor performance, both by trainers and the athletes themselves. In reality, however, disordered eating and eating disorders are more likely to negatively impact performance. And that's a story that played out in real life with devastating impact for Australian Paralympian Jessica Smith. I was actually born missing my left arm and to this day doctors have no explanation as to why that occurred. And so I think for me growing up I was really grappling with my identity and my place in the world. You know, I I was told by everyone around me, you know, by by doctors and professionals that I was different, that I had a disability. And a lot of the the labels that were being used to describe me have so many negative connotations and for a young child I remember feeling as though, you know, I didn't want to be limited by what other people were saying or by the way that my body looked. And so for me, I realised I had an opportunity to show people 
and and to prove to myself that my my body could do amazing things and so the natural progression for me was obviously to to go into sport something that I fell in love with I really enjoyed being in the water I had this sense of freedom and power um, even from a very young age and I think you know there was obviously a bit of natural talent there which helps you know build that level of, of self-confidence but it was my first swimming race when I was 10 at the school swimming carnival and it was a 50 meters freestyle and I won beating all the girls and boys with with two arms I grew up in country near South Wales in Grafton on the far north coast so there was no other kids in the school you That's know awesome. I love that story yeah, so it's sort of in that moment I remember thinking, wow, people are looking at me finally for something that I can do rather than something that I can't do. And the elation and, you know, the excitement that I felt in that moment, only at 10 years old, you know, I remember it so vividly. And I said to my mum and dad, I need to swim. I just I want to swim because it makes me feel good. Also, I was just a teenage girl growing up in a world where we emphasise so much on beauty and aesthetics and appearance. And so while I was navigating my world in the pool and, and as a swimmer and achieving great things, I was then also coming to terms with the fact that I was going through puberty and I was this teenage girl who did look different. And so, you know, I wasn't getting the attention of, of boys at high school. You know, I remember one guy even saying, you know, you know, that girl Jess would be pretty if she had two arms. And so feeling like, you know, I just was too different um, in my space. And so it was really, really hard to then try and combat that the, the negativity that then started to encroach, you know, in my internal dialogue. You know, I looked in the mirror and, and realised that my arm was never going to grow back um, and I also have um, profound scarring on my neck and chest from an accident when I was a toddler. A lot going on in that childhood years and teenage years as well. And so for me, um, I did. I started to, to diet and I started to look at ways in which I could lose weight. And unfortunately for me, that was the beginning of basically a decade living in the hellish nightmare of of anorexia and, and bulimia. And, and like many athletes can relate to, um, what people see on the outside is completely different from what's going on on the inside and the shame and guilt that accompanies an eating disorder and that insidious mental illness meant that I didn't feel that I could speak up and share what was actually going on with anyone around me. So incredibly lonely. Um, I felt the pressure as well that Perhaps because I was already living with a disability, I therefore didn't have the right to have any other issues to, to complain about. So after overcoming so much adversity to make the Australian Paralympic team and get selected to go to Athens in 2004, the eating disorder that she'd been hiding for so long stole her dream from her. As Athens got closer and closer, I became sicker and sicker. Um, and I remember landing in in Greece and feeling so excited but just terrified at the same time because it was as if I knew that my body physically and emotionally was under so much pressure. Um, I was expected to meddle 
in Athens, but I was the only member of the Australian team who didn't make a final. And that's been very, very hard for me to verbalise. For for almost seven years when I, you know, worked as a motivational speaker, I didn't share that with anybody because the, the guilt and the shame was still far too heavy for me to carry. But I realised that that's the important part of my story that I do need to share and that I do need to to express to help myself heal and to help myself in recovery. And so by explaining to people that my eating disorder had really taken such a hold on my entire life to the point where it had basically destroyed my swimming career, you know, to be the only member of the Australian yeah. swimming team to not make a final um, was was absolutely, it was just horrendous. The physical impacts of eating disorders can be staggering and they can be life-threatening, but the emotional burden that often goes with it can sometimes be just as bad. I was in a complete state of, of depression by that point as well. And so, again, what a lot of people don't understand about eating disorders, it's not it's not just about the food and the weight loss. It's everything else that creates this, this mental just heaviness and fog. It was a combination of of all of those things to the point where halfway through the week of competing in Athens, I realised, I was like, I I am not going to be able to swim as fast as I need to. My body has had enough. You know, I remember my hair was falling out, my teeth were breaking. Um, That's just a physical side of it. But emotionally, I, I had basically checked out. Unfortunately, Jessica's story isn't isolated, which is why bodies like the NEDC and the Australian Institute of Sport have been doing so much work towards helping athletes overcome eating disorders or prevent them in the first place. It's a little bit more complicated, though, because when we're talking about eating disorders at high-end sport, it needs to be approached a little bit differently. In some cases, weight or body size can affect a high-performing athlete's performance especially when a fraction of a second can mean the difference between a gold medal or not even qualifying. But Fiona Sutherland says huge improvements have been made in sporting circles. What we need to really focus on is that eating disorders are so harmful and any way that we can be in a position where we can prevent them whilst also focusing on um, optimal performance is, of course, that sweet spot that we want to achieve. Will we ever get there? I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful. So I've been a sports dietitian and an eating disorder specialist dietitian for over 20 years now. And honestly, things have changed a lot. And that's only in half a career time and in, you know, a a portion of my lifetime. And so I've been really, um, at the same time as I feel like tearing my hair out at times, um, I also feel very um, buoyed and um, incredibly heartened by the efforts that are being made uh, on individual levels and also on more organisational and collective levels as well. So what we used to see as totally acceptable, I'll give you an example, things like um, you know doing skin folds and putting them up publicly for all of the club to see and compare and make comments on and therefore attract, you know, body-related, um, maybe not bullying, but close to that, you know, um, certainly disparaging comments or teasing or whatever is culturally acceptable within a sport. Um, And now that is seen as very unacceptable behaviour. It's like, okay, well, if I can control the way that I looked or the way that I felt or the way that I ate, 
I, because I thought everything else was out of my control. Um, so it gave me something to focus on and work on. And I became so obsessed with everything around eating and exercising. Um, but again, I was doing it in, in the wrong manner. This is basketballer Maddie Garrick. She's the co-captain of the Deakin Melbourne Boomers and an Australian 3x3 basketball player. I absolutely hit my rock bottom at 15. Um, I just remember when I think about the whole lift experience itself, I was just so consumed. There was not, I, I explained it as there wasn't a quiet second in my brain. And I just became, I was depressed. I was angry. I became paranoid about little things. Um, I became so fixated on things that shouldn't even be an issue. Um, but I just remember, I was just tired. I was just so tired, physically, obviously, but mentally um, tired of just being so consumed by everything. And, and all of all my thoughts were, were negative. I was playing basketball, but because I wasn't feeling my body, I was losing weight. Um, I couldn't do the things that I was able to do. And in my mind, I couldn't understand, I was working harder and I was training more and I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting better, why I kept getting knocked around, why I couldn't get to the basket, why I couldn't lift as heavy I was lifting, even though I was training more. And so I became really frustrated at myself and that's where my anger came out as well. While Maddie Garrick was isolating herself and trying to face her problems alone, things just went from bad to worse. But as soon as she reached out to people who she knew could help her, started to turn around. I just remember I was sitting watching TV and I burst into tears. And I remember saying to myself, I'm so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. Like all the time. I'm so tired of just constant chatter about this obsession that I had around exercising and food and just... And obviously being physically exhausted, I just hit rock bottom. And I remember in that moment, it was like a switch flicked and I was like, I need help. I remember saying those words to myself and that was something that I didn't want to admit earlier on um, and I avoided it. But I just, yeah, I just hit um, absolute rock bottom and that was that was it. You know, I was embarrassed by it too because I had medical parents. My dad was a pediatrician, my mum's um, a nurse. And I remember saying I need help, but I didn't know how to explain it because I knew in my mind what I was doing and the habits that I had formed were wrong, but I couldn't help them. I couldn't help doing them. And I knew if I said it out loud to friends or family, they would sound so ridiculous. And I think that's where my embarrassment was um, because I didn't know how to explain it because no one would understand why I was doing things and how it felt for me. So I remember texting my mum. I, I can't remember exactly word for word, but I remember texting her in the sense that I I need some help. Um, can you help me <laughs> pretty much? And then I explained wow. a little bit to her. And then, um, yeah, my dad put me on to a great nutritionist. And then within a year, I went up to the AIS on scholarship for basketball. And I was just surrounded by um, the some of the best professionals in um, sport. Yeah, I was like, you know, I just want to do this properly. The Australian Institute of Sport has worked with the NEDC to come up with what they call a position statement. It's focused on prevention and early intervention for eating disorders in all sports and across all codes. And we'll go into that in a little bit more depth shortly. 
But first, let's take a look at how the behaviours of high-performance sports have a profound effect on the entire sporting community, right through to the beginner levels. Uh, g'day, I'm Ben Sanders. Happy to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. What do you do with yourself, Ben? How would you describe yourself in terms of vocation? Uh, at the moment, I'm a full-time student studying a Bachelor of Science at Melbourne University, uh, working part-time in a few different roles. Like a lot of Australian kids, Ben and his siblings always loved their sports and wanted to be just like their favourite athletes. From childhood, I always had a quite an interesting relationship with my body and how my, both my brother and myself grew up, and I'm sure how a lot of people grow up. We go through stages of huge growth spurts and then we kind of fill out from there and our muscles would develop in time afterwards. So our bodies would change quite dramatically and that would put us in some pretty weird situations when people around us are growing up quite steadily in a kind of a linear fashion. And it got to a stage, I think I was in year three, and I was getting bullied about my weight. And I think that might have been a bit of a kicker for it. Like I got to a point where I didn't want to go to school and I'm like, what, seven, ten years old? not wanting to go to school because I'm getting bullied about my weight. And that's something that's always changing and it could be six months later and I look completely different. And going forward from there, it got throughout high school, a lot of it centered around sport and what I wanted to put my body through to be able to perform in my head what would let me perform the way I wanted to and make the teams that I wanted to. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily what I wanted either. It was what other people around me wanted, what coaches wanted, what other players were doing and what I wanted to emulate to be yeah, able right. to push myself to a point where I could perform, where I thought I could perform my best. A study of teenage athletes found the desire in teenagers who want to be leaner so they can perform better at sport is associated with changes in disordered eating. This tells us that frequently these behavioural patterns are learnt at a very early age. If someone has an expectation that I drop some weight to perform better, it's not something that I would think about a lot and it wouldn't be something that would take up my day. But when it would be time to sit down and eat, it was something that kind of ticked over in the back of my mind. It's like, I don't need to eat a lot. I'm actually feeling okay. I won't eat this much. On the flip side, if I, if I was expected to bulk up a fair bit, I would consciously put food in my mouth and try and get as much as I could possibly get in. And those things would happen concurrently and it put me in quite an awkward spot throughout high school. At what point did you realise that your eating patterns were disordered? Um, It wasn't until after high school and um, I had quite a difficult relationship with food in my first year of university where I was eating very, very little following a shoulder reconstruction, a pretty significant shoulder reconstruction. And all I wanted to do was perform my best and the way that I was approaching food was not allowing me to do that. So I was eating really, really little and trying to perform at the same time. And that wasn't just on the sporting field, it was in the classroom as well. And it wasn't until probably the end of my first year in 2019 that 
it really kind of hit and I was like, this isn't healthy. This isn't putting me in a good position to succeed both physically and mentally. Like Ben, athletes are more likely to present with disordered eating rather than a clinical eating disorder. However, there are health and performance implications regardless of where an athlete falls along the spectrum, and risks increase when disordered eating worsens into a diagnosable eating disorder. It's something we need to keep shouting from the rooftops that any age, any gender, any sport, any time, we need to be really looking out for those um, warning signs and, importantly, not waiting for the warning signs but setting things in place that reduce the risk for your athletes Uh, because um, I often say there's no such thing as risk-free but reducing risk and harm is incredibly important. Eating disorders can be life-threatening. We know that. In fact, they have the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. So let's get back to that AIS position paper. It recommends that doctors in sports should have key clinical competency to identify an athlete who's unstable and requires removal from a sport, emergency intervention or even admission to supportive care. It was really wonderful for us to partner with the National Eating Disorders Collaboration in developing a position statement. So it's officially called the AIS and NEDC Disordered Eating in High Performance Sport Position Statement. Um, And so it's as such a a literature review and a summary of the literature in terms of um, disordered eating in athletes, why they might exist and what the potential implications are, but also some specific guidelines and directions for national sporting organisations and how they can help to address this um, serious and often misunderstood issue within high-performance sport. So um, the position statement was launched officially in September 2020. And along with that, we developed a range of resources for sporting organisations and also individuals within sport to help work in this space. All sporting clubs and organisations are encouraged to create their own guidelines on prevention and early identification of disordered eating. All groups are going to be different and have a broad diversity of needs, but the core principle should always be first, do no harm. Within the position statement, we encourage all sporting organisations to have their own policy. And the reason for that is that then it can be um, uh, specific and tailored to suit the organisation's needs and the needs of the athletes within that sport. So one of the resources that we created that sit on um, the ais.gov.au backslash disordered eating website is a policy template. So it exists so that other sporting organisations around the country can take the template and tailor it to suit their sporting organisation and their athletes within it. Something that we're really, really passionate about is that all role holders in high performance sport have a part to play. And um, it, it doesn't matter what your role is within high performance sport, everyone has a role to play. Um, and so then it's about educating all of those role holders as to how they can help in this space um, and, and giving them the tools and the confidence to know what to do and when to do things and who to go to and who to talk to if they're concerned about things, but also understanding what their potential role is in this space. So if you're part of a sporting organisation or a club and you want to make sure that your group is prepared, 
the AIS have done a lot of the hard work for you. You just have to jump in and use the resources that they've provided. There's a range of a range of resources on the website, which is www.ais.gov.au backslash disordered eating. Um, there's policy template sits up there. There is um, do a document relating to considerations around body composition assessment. Um, there's education workshop details. And there's also COVID-19 specific resources that sit up on that website too. Another good place to start is Butterfly's website. Along with resources for anybody who wants to know more about body image issues and eating disorders, they also conduct workshops and have pages specifically for sporting groups. To find out more, go to butterfly.org.au. And if you're struggling with an eating disorder right now, remember that talking helps. You can reach the Butterfly National Helpline on 1800 ED Hope. That's 1800 33 4673. Or if you'd prefer to chat online, you can do that at butterfly.org.au or email support at butterfly.org.au. And before we go, I want to thank you for being part of our loyal audience. It means the world to us. And we'd like to hear from you. If you want to send us any feedback or you've got some topics that you'd like us to cover in the future, please drop a line to Butterfly's amazing communications team. You can get them at comms, that's C-O-M-M-S, at butterfly.org.au. The Butterfly Podcast is an Icon Media production for Butterfly Foundation. It's written, produced, edited, and hosted by Sam Icon with the assistance of Camilla Beckett and Belinda Kerslake. Our music is from Cody Martin and Breakmaster Cylinder. And we'd like to send a special shout-out and a massive thank you to Fiona Sutherland, Jessica Smith, Nikki Jaycock, Maddie Garrick, and Ben Sanders for helping us out with this episode. If you know someone who you think could benefit from this podcast, please share it with a friend. You'll find it wherever your podcasts are. <laughs>